0: You're listening to the Five Questions podcast, and I'm your host, Dan Shaw Bell. In fewer than 10 minutes, my goal is to extract the best advice from the world's smartest and most interesting people by asking them just five questions. My guest today is the co founder and co executive chairman of The Carlyle Group, David Rubinstein. David's The Carlyle Group is one of the world's largest and most successful private equity firms. He is the chairman of the board of trustees of the John F. Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts and the Council on Foreign Relations. He is an original signer of the Giving Pledge and a recipient of the Carnegie Medal of Philanthropy and the MoMA's David Rockefeller Award. We discuss his book, How to Lead, during this podcast episode. David, I've spoken with a variety of leaders that have navigated this crisis, and all of them say that trust is the most valuable asset right now. What did you learn from all your interviews on how to build and cultivate trust?
1: The leaders that I interviewed all recognize that they have to establish certain credibility with people they want to lead. And the best way to do that is to have people trust you. If you don't establish trust, people aren't going to follow you. People have many choices about people they can follow. And if you don't really establish trust, in the end, the leadership of capabilities go away. Best way you establish trust is leading by example. You establish your standards and you follow through with them and other people will follow you. Yeah, I
0: agree. It's about dependability, credibility, And also, it seems like, especially in this pandemic, it's about visibility. Like, are you always out there in a credible way and being transparent and honest with your constituents from a political standpoint or from a corporate standpoint? How has collecting all these stories of successful people affected you personally, changed your outlook on life, and made you personally a better leader?
1: I started interviewing a few years ago when I had speakers coming to various events and they weren't very good to not tell them they weren't very good. I said, I'm going to interview you. You won't have to prepare speeches and it'll be easier for you. And they said, okay. And I realized when you interview people, if you do it reasonably well, you can get people to talk much more about themselves and you can learn much more about them. And so in all the people that I've interviewed for this particular book, I learned about how they got where they are and virtually all of them would say there was luck. They were focus on their part for an area there was persistence, there was failure. But in the end, I think I learned that all leaders have their flaws, all leaders make mistakes. And if you want to be a leader, you have to put yourself, as Teddy Roosevelt said, in the arena.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. And that's, that leads into the next question perfectly. You named a lot of the common qualities that all these successful leaders you interview have in common. But what are some of the unique differences? And even if you could pull out some examples from some of the stories and, and interviews you've had about what separates different leaders and how different leadership
1: approaches can be successful. Some leaders are people who are building idea, building companies, and they are Trying to prove certain kinds of things they don't have to capture a wide audience at the beginning but if you're in the government you have to have from the beginning a lot of people following you because that's essentially what government's about what i learned in interviewing these people when i learned about leadership is that it's an art it's not something you're really born with you know the old school thinking was you are either born as a leader or you are um, trained as a leader i don't know that it's either but i think you get through life by learning certain things and you take these skills and probably by a certain age, you have developed those skills. What I pointed out in the book is that in my own case, I was not much of a leader in what I call the first third of life. I wasn't the All-American athlete. I wasn't a Rhodes Scholar. I wasn't a Supreme Court clerk. All the people that had those jobs or were the brilliant people in my law school class or our college class or high school class, they all did OK. But none of them actually went on to be president of the United States or became famous leaders. And some of the reasons is that people burn out. Sometimes people don't want to be a leader in the second third and the third third. And the people that run the world in the second third of their life, when sometimes the third third, are the people who actually were not the superstars in the beginning. Jeff Bezos was a very smart guy, but he wasn't a a Rhodes Scholar, Supreme Court clerk. Bill Gates, a very smart guy, but a college dropout. So you wouldn't have said necessarily in the first third of their life, these people are going to change the world. The people that change the world are the ones who come into their own, sometimes in their 30s or 40s, and then ultimately they push it through in their 50s and 60s and change the world.
0: Yeah, that just reminds me of this article I read in the New York Times several years ago about all of the cool people in high school and how they kind of burned out and they ended up not being successful in the next phase of their life because they had so much attention and and were so on top of their game in high school, but they weren't able to carry that
1: throughout the rest of their life. One of the reasons for that is my theory is this. I won't mention names, but there's a person I know early on in my life, blue-eyed, blonde-haired, all-American athlete, superstar at Harvard, Rhodes Scholar, Supreme Court clerk, PhD. Everybody thought this man walked on water, but he had never had to be pushed to do anything. And when he met resistance, he wasn't really able to come up with the character because he had never been tested. He'd never failed. And you have to learn how to fail to really be successful. I mean, even now, I've been
0: doing this forever, and I'm still having to pitch a lot of people getting rejected before I get an
1: opportunity to be able to leverage that into other opportunities. Entrepreneurs, on average, start companies between the ages of 28 and 37. And after the age of 37, they generally don't do that. So when I started Carlisle at 37, I realized i better do it sooner. It would be too late. I'd have kids and mortgages and other problems. Find something you love and when you love it, you can pursue it. Nobody ever won a Nobel Prize hating what they do. Nobody ever got great in life saying, I'm gonna work nine to five, five days a week, and the weekends are for golf. That Those people don't achieve much in greatness in my view.
0: Yeah, and I wanna focus on philanthropy because obviously you're a ma- massive philanthropist. You've amassed a fortune in private equity and you've taken the giving pledge to donate half of your wealth, much like Warren Buffett and others. What would you say to persuade other prominent people to be more philanthropic? And how do you decide which causes to
1: donate to? Thomas Jefferson said in the Declaration of Independence that life is really about the pursuit of happiness. Now in the subsequent 50 years, he never actually defined happiness. But as all of us know, the most elusive thing in life is personal happiness. Many people that are successful on the outside are tortured souls in some ways. And people that have lots of artwork or or yachts and houses, they're not necessarily happy. Happiness comes from other kinds of things. And my experience is in my own life, the greatest happiness I've gotten has been giving away money or my time or my energy. It's not by having houses or material things. Probably the greatest happiness was pleasing my mother. She never called me to say, hey, you made a lot of money, great success at Carlisle. She never bothered that. She didn't have any money, but she didn't really care about that. When I started giving away massive sums of money, She would call me and say, look, you're actually doing something useful with your life. And when she passed away a few years ago and I went through uh, her scrapbooks, the only scrapbook that she had of things I had done was the things that I'd given away money to. If your mother's happy with what you're doing, life is pleasurable.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. My friend called me the other day and she's like, yeah, this extremely successful Japanese businessman, he recently retired. And one of the ways he's giving away, he's deciding to mentor dozens of young leaders. And I thought that was so fascinating because, of course, now people are like looking to find things to do. And so he could take up a hobby, but why not mentor young people because you've learned so much and he's not charging them for it. So I thought that was a really interesting thing.
1: And I'm sure sure it's happening even more. It was just one example. I like to remind people that for Philanthropy is derived from an ancient Greek word that meant loving humanity. It didn't mean rich people writing checks. And you can love humanity with your time, your energy, your ideas. But I tell people that the greatest pleasure I have is not by giving money away so much, but actually giving my time and ideas to organizations which might help them as well as the money. And what's your best piece of career advice? Try many different things in your early life. Find things that you like, you think, and try them. But if you don't like them, try something else. I did four or five things before I started Carlisle, and I had to experiment. So try many different things. But you will never be successful until you find something you love doing. If you want to be great at something, you have to love it. And if you don't love what you're doing, you're never going to be that successful at it. Thank you so much for
0: sharing your wisdom, David. To follow his journey, you can read How to Lead and find him on Twitter, where he shares his appearances, articles, conversations, and family. To watch the full extended video version of this episode, go to youtube.com slash And please remember to rate and review the 5 Questions podcast on iTunes.